What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And I get a call from Delaire, director of broadcasting with A's Cast in the Oakland A's. And he says, Jesse, we have an offer. Um, and Korak is taking these games off and we are extending offers to different broadcasters throughout the system. Would you like to do this three game series in Boston? Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduo. On today's episode, I'm talking to one of the best people in baseball. Author, podcaster, and longtime Lansing Lugnuts broadcaster, Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. I'll say that I haven't had a better storyteller on this pod than Jesse, and in nearly two decades in professional baseball, he's got a lot of them. We talk his career, working and broadcasting at almost every level of baseball, including his own big league call-up, and what he's picked up at every stop along the way. He goes into the joys of getting to learn and relay the story behind the players who call Lansing home every season, and we talk through some of the greats he's seen make their first stop in pro ball including Bo Bichette and Mike Trout. He's also just genuinely the nicest person in baseball and just started his own podcast, Crafting the Call. So go subscribe to that. It is, it's going to be awesome. Uh, episodes of this podcast drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. We are coming up on episode 100. That is 100 evergreen interviews. So again, if you enjoyed this, go check out the past ones. If you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for amateur baseball and prospect news, folks. It is college baseball season just past the first weekend of college baseball. Tune in to BA to check out all the goings-on there, as well as spring training coverage, prospect coverage. It is always a good time to subscribe to Baseball America. And with that, let's talk to Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. All right, joining in for today's episode from Feeding on the Farm, he's an author, podcaster, and most notably the longtime voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. Jesse, thank you so much for joining the show. What's up? Thank you very much for having me. Of course, of course. Before we get into this show, tell the folks about your new show. Oh boy, this has been something in coming. It's called Crafting the Call. It's with Josh Sushan of the Albuquerque Isotopes. When the baseball season ended... I was trying to figure out what to do with myself. And the first thing that I do is I clean the house. I rearrange all my bookshelves and that helps me get my mind in order. And then the next thing that came up was, well, what if I started writing a little bit about the craft of broadcasting? That was at the forefront of my mind. And for me, I need to do what's there first in order to get to what's back. I need to eat the food at the front of the refrigerator in order to eat the food at the back of the refrigerator. I just started writing a couple of articles about the craft of broadcasting and my philosophy for LinkedIn. Josh read it and he contacted me and he said, this is what I wanted to do a project on this off season. I wanted to look into the deeper form, the deeper craft of broadcasting. And this is the kind of level that I want to work at. So what is this project going to take shape? What is it that we're going to do? And we went back and forth about, is it going to be written? Is it going to be audio? Is it going to be video? And this is what we arrived at is it's a YouTube series, a weekly video where we are examining every single facet of the craft of broadcasting. That is, we are going to listen to an inning of Harry Carey broadcasting from the 1960s, and we're going to break it down. 
We're going to listen to Kirk Gibson homering off of Dennis Eckersley. And we're going to contrast how Vin Scully called it, how Jack Buck called it, how Don Drysdale called it on Dodgers radio, how Bill King called it on A's radio and see what is each guy focused on and why. We're going to ask how to call different sorts of plays. How do you call a triple play? What is treacherous about it? How do you call a pop bat to third or all of those different things that we've picked up tips along the way, but also throwing things at each other, listening to the way that other broadcasters have confronted the same obstacles and said, what have they done that we can learn from in a whole examination of the art? Because I consider broadcasting, if you consider martial arts, the different color belts as you're leveling up, I think that broadcasters can level up in much the same way if they study it. So with that, that's kind of, it's a question I was going to ask in a little bit, but we might as we're here now. Let's, let's talk about it. How much of a broadcasting style and what you're bringing on a, on a day-to-day broadcast, how much of it is natural, how you talk, your instincts and things like that. And how much of it is carefully crafted over a 20 year career? (laughs) I don't think anything is purely innate. I think you learn everything. I have a four-year-old. I have watched how he learns to talk, how he adds words into his vocabulary or facial expressions or gestures. And I'll say, he does that just like Christy, my wife, or he picked up this word or phrase from somebody at school. And broadcasters do the same thing. The way that we talk baseball has been picked up from hearing somebody else talking it. Now that can start as you learning from everyone calling games while you were a kid. And then where it goes from there, I think it's imperative to be around ballplayers and coaches and anyone talking baseball just to hear what they're talking about and ask them why. Why are you describing pitching this way or hitting this way? And how can I then translate that on the air? So it starts off as something that you work on. But if you keep on working on it and you develop it into a habit, then it comes across naturally. So then let's go back to to what drove you into broadcasting and what got you started in baseball. Walk me through what spurred your love for baseball because you grew up a Tigers fan in Maryland. So I yeah. need, need some info on that. And then and then how, you know, that love of baseball turned into a desire to broadcast baseball. I would compare it to you could find a Pat Mahomes fan in every state and throughout countries across Earth. I grew up a Tigers fan because I decided that Alan Trammell and Sweet Lou Whitaker were the best. I played shortstop. I played second base and they were my favorites, not Cal Ripken, even though I was a Marylander. And because of Tram and Whitaker, I decided that the Tigers were my team and I collected their baseball cards and I had my Tigers pennants and my Tigers jacket and cap. And I listened to games every night. I would have the Orioles on on WTOP. I would go to minor league games, Frederick Keys, Bowie Bay Sox as a kid growing up. Big, big thanks to my parents. My father a gigantic baseball fan. So that's where it had to have started is how much, how big baseball is in the family. But also you could look at every member of my family and my mom, Mets fan, my dad, Giants fan, and there, there am I a Tigers fan, but my brother suddenly developing an affinity for the Diamondbacks or my sister for the Rangers. Truly a house divided. (laughs) (laughs) I would call it a house united within baseball because we weren't arguing against each other. Let's say the Diamondbacks are playing the Tigers. We're just enjoying the game. We're enjoying the all-star game. We just love the sport. That is, I mean, that that is a beautiful summation of the love of baseball. So you head to you head to Ithaca College 
what so we we've had we've had a couple broadcasters on the show so far we've had one from a from a small college we've had one uh friend of your dominique contronio uh who went to arizona state uh what what was your process how early were you in a booth when you got to ithaca and and how many you know i think what i've heard from both dom and then our other broadcaster guest trey wilson is the benefit of of calling calling different things while in college and and being able to to you know to up your repertoire with different sports so how how many different things did you find yourself on mic for as you before you got solely into baseball quick shout out emory wilson the third trey's the greatest He's also the broadcaster who's the youngest man who thinks that he's the oldest. Trey has old man. Trey has old man vibes. He he thinks that he's old man Oak. He's just big and aged and he carries himself in this older way. And I look at him and I go, number one, you're young. You hear the you hear the voice though. It's like it's it's like he's he's like an ent from Lord of the Rings. Just <laughs> uh I love both Trey and Dom. And I think that they are two of the hardest working people that you could ever find. So you talk to two people who I would argue set the standard for broadcasters and work ethic. So I love that. Okay, back to your question. Ithaca College, you were wondering? Yes. I went to Ithaca College because I could get on air immediately. When I was in middle school, I fell in love with acting. And I auditioned for Fiddler on the Roof, which I was only told by a friend, hey, you got to go out for this because you're Jewish. And I thought, okay, (laughs) that's a good enough reason. And from there, all that high school, I acted. Now, my baseball playing career, it ended when I was 12. I was a really good eight-year-old. I was a pretty good 10-year-old. And then I couldn't judge a pop-up. So I, I can proudly boast that I have turned an unassisted triple play. And as a pitcher, I was really good at throwing it slow right down the middle. And I would throw only palm balls. But uh, by the time I went to high school, I chose acting over all else. I chose acting away from playing the trumpet. There was I went out for the tennis team, but it was going to conflict with acting. Well, as I started to think about what I wanted to do when it came to college, I definitely was not going to go into theater. That was not going to be a career that I would pursue. And I'm always listening and watching broadcasts. So why not try this? Either that or writing, because I knew that I wanted to be a writer. So I explored colleges where I could check out their writing majors. But the top priority began. I wanted to find a college where I could broadcast sports. And I would go to these colleges that now I look at, and they have proud sports broadcasting programs. I'm from 10 minutes away from the University of Maryland. They didn't have that at the time. And there were other colleges where I said, do you have sports broadcasting? And they'd say, we have communication singular, not communications plural. Do you want to get into political communication? And I said, no. So I went to Syracuse and Syracuse said, you'll have to wait until you're an upperclassman to have a shot. That's just the way that things work. And I went to Ithaca and they said, you can get on air your first week. And Kyle, I needed it because I'd never done it before. And it is really hard to broadcast, which I found out immediately. But there I was from freshman through senior year, growing and getting those reps there. How many different sports did you did you call it, Ithaca? Baseball, lacrosse, men's and women's basketball, football, women's hockey. And I was supposed to do a softball game, but it got snowed out. So 
I would say a fair amount. I would argue, though, that I talk to broadcasters who do so much more than me. They've done wrestling or gymnastics or swimming and diving, volleyball. I was a fan at all those other sports. I was cheering on my friends. So the way that it worked at Ithaca was the sports radio students, this was all extracurricular. There were no broadcast classes. And they would, the sports director, who when I was a freshman was a sophomore and Seth Cantor, he would say, we've got these assignments coming up this week. Who's available? You would raise your hand and he would look out amongst these 15 to 20 hands raised and he'd say, you and you. And then he'd move on to the next game, you and you. And you would just keep on raising your hand and hoping that you would get called. I've asked uh, I've asked our previous broadcast guest this. How long does it take to get comfortable on mic? And I would say specifically, how long does it get comfortable when they point when he points at you and says you and you and you're covering lacrosse or you're covering a, a sport that you're not as intimately familiar with as baseball? How long does it take to say to get in front of the mic and say, I'm. I'm the guy for this job. I can do this. I'm not sweating bullets out of my body out of nerves. I have a bad answer for you because I don't remember when I felt comfortable. It happens when you're not expecting it. Like I I first became aware of the fact that doing baseball games was easy for me long after it became easier. It is terrifying at the start. I'm trying to call football and I don't realize how hard it is. I'm describing a run that the ball carrier drags the defender past the 45, past the 50, and down to the 52-yard line. And things that you don't even realize that you go, that's not how you say that. A ground ball where back to first for double play. But it didn't go back to first because the first baseman didn't start it. So all of those words that I've internalized that broadcasters used – and I suddenly had to understand this is a cliche the way that I'm using it, and I have to use it accurately. It's terrifying. Baseball is so much faster than you ever realize that it is until you call it for the first time and those pitches start flying and you're not ready for them. So I would say the first couple of broadcasts, the adrenaline is flowing, and then you realize all that you don't know. And your ignorance, the overwhelming weight of your ignorance in calling the game hits you and you're studying your tape and you're studying the game and you're understanding here are all the different ways that I'm unfit for this and I need to put in the work. So then you're putting in the work and it continues to be terrifying and adrenaline fueling and exciting and you're just doing your best and you're calling it with your friends or calling it by yourself or trying to make sure that the equipment works. So when that happens and you become comfortable it sneaks up on you. When does what does out of the booth work look like? Like if you're not getting an in-game rep, how do you how do you work on your craft outside of the actual doing the actual craft? Demo critiques of others. The easiest way to understand broadcasting is to listen to somebody else and to say, I really like that they do this. I don't like that they do that. And so those critiques of others, the listening into broadcasters at the highest level. And I would say, I really like that turn of phrase. Let me try that. Meanwhile, you're working on your voice. You're working on your breathing. You're working on how you sound. I compare it to a batter taking batting practice or just working off a tee, doing cage work. You can work on your voice to say, how do I want to do a highlight? And then practice a highlight in multiple ways. 
you do need, I would argue, for a broadcaster, a home run call, just so you'll have something to say when that ball passes over the wall. And then you can start to experiment. How did this word feel? How did this phrase feel? You're doing all these things to see how things taste in your mouth. Meanwhile, you're doing a ton of reading and a ton of writing and a ton of learning on the language of the game. I was taking classes where I was learning media writing and working on, I double minored in English and writing. So I'm trying to master the language of English. I can work in my time between broadcasts to master the language of the sport. And I think that it's crucial to speak the language of the sport if you want to broadcast it. And as you got to be an upperclassman, you started kind of looking at, okay, what is what is my career? Just like any upperclassman, you have to start realizing what is life outside of college going to look like? How did you how did you narrow on the path of, okay, definitely I want to work in baseball? And at that time, what did you know, what did finding that first job out of college look like? I called two baseball games in college, play by play for two. Just just two games singular? Only two. So was baseball the path for you then? Were you like, sure? Was it like, was there something else that was hanging over you that was like, this might be my sport? Well, let's go back to my childhood. Baseball was always the sport over everything else. It was always baseball. I'm very in love with it. I have a billion baseball books. I had them as a kid. I read them over and over until they got worn and tattered. My Hank Aaron biography, my Willie Mays biography, my greatest games in baseball history or uh, baseball anecdotes or Bill James or um, the Hall of Shame books, all of them. So there was never any doubt in my mind that after I graduated college, that the career that I was going to pursue was I was going to try to be a baseball broadcaster. But I've got no idea how to do that. I don't know what kind of path to take. I was referred to a website called Call of the Game, and I started applying to the baseball jobs that were there. I was lucky enough to get one rejection letter that I remember. Nobody else wrote me back. Nobody else contacted me back. I had my cassette tapes that I didn't know what to do with. I had a resume that I didn't receive too much guidance on or a cover letter. I came out of college without a position, without any knowledge of where to go or what to do, and I went right back to Maryland. So I'm that summer I worked, I received a great reference to work with audio description and work around the Washington, D.C. area and call play-by-play of musicals and theater and arts. I'm sitting at Jesus Christ Superstar, and I'm calling it for people who are visually impaired. That way they can see what's happening out there Really? On the I stage. did not know. That's very... I I honestly could have used that. Our uh, The audio by our seats when we saw Jesus Christ Superstar was not great. We couldn't always understand what they were singing, and I was like, I'm not... I'd, I obviously I know the story. I know what's happening to Jesus, but I could use some 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 more descriptions. <laughs> and side note, I you are the first other person I know who has read baseball anecdotes. I have baseball anecdotes in my bookshelf over there, and I love baseball anecdotes. I've got it somewhere around. I love baseball stories. Baseball stories. It's, are the it's best. incredible. It's an, and and for me, it was the first. It's one of the first time you're introduced to the, those older players and things like that, and guys who guys who died before you were born. Um, so yeah, yeah, very, yeah. I would, I would recommend that to anyone. Definitely look it up. It's, it's probably on eBay for very, and, very little right now. <laughs> and to take you off the beaten path, John Thorne's book about the century of baseball stories, or then I started to get into Rob Nyer and Rob Nyer doing his tracers and trying to find the accuracy of different baseball stories. And I wanted to know the truth to things. 
And then that led me, it's so fun to go down paths of where you start finding more and more accurate tellings of this is what this person was like. And all I care about is what is someone like as a human being? I've got a book all about impressionists as human beings or magicians as human beings. And that's what I care about is, is that personalizing of who these people are who did the stats. I memorized the stats, but not because I actually was a numbers person. I memorized who won every single World Series from my baseball encyclopedia, but it was not because I needed to know that actual detail. I was more concerned with what actually happened in that World Series to make to make it come to life for me. Yeah, I have a book called, I think it's it's up in my son's room, but it's like Baseball of Century or something like that. And it was like a year by year breakdown. Um, and then it was like, who's the player of the year? And I loved it. I just read it, read it religiously. I think it stopped in like 99. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. It's one of the reasons I love, um, I guess a self plug for BA, but I love going back and looking at the the draft database and the, the players that they have old reports for from like the eighties or the nineties and just hearing like what they thought of, you know, this kid such and such when he was 18 or something like that. And, and their personalities, I always find that so fascinating, but anyways, you're, you're back <laughs> home, you're calling musicals seems far from the diamond. How'd we get back to the diamond? Bruce Murray. Do you know the SiriusXM football host? He was a local sports talk radio show host in the D.C. area for a while. So there's that connection. And Le Boulet, the bullets. Well, he, I think one of his parents was friends with one of my grandparents. And they happened to say, here's his number. You want to be a sports broadcaster. Maybe he can give you advice. So I gave him a cult call and he said, hi, you want to work in baseball? What you really need to do is just fly out to the winter meetings and good luck, kid. And I flew out to the winter meetings in December 2004 and I had some really weird conversations. Now, number one, I'm very introverted and shy, so I'm not walking up to everybody and handing them my resume. I'm not even starstruck because I'm just staying in the job seekers hall and just staying there for three days, um, just trying to drop in my cassette tape and hoping that somebody notices me. Well, I got an interview with somebody named Dan Lev, and he's wearing a badge for the Hudson Valley Renegades. And he said, actually, I'm the voice of the St. Paul Saints, but independent teams are not supposed to be here. And I'm going to be interviewing you for the Brockton Rocks and the Charleston River Dogs, where you will either intern with Josh Maurer with Charleston or Dave Raymond with Brockton. Are you still interested? And I said, um, I'm ready. And he asked me questions like, who's my favorite of the seven dwarves? And would I be cool just staying in a cubicle and never having anything to do with baseball? What did I think about the office life? Questions like that. Well, apparently the interview went well enough that I moved on to the next round. They asked me, did I want to go to Brockton to make $500 a month? Or did I want to go to Charleston to make $250 a month? And I took the larger number uh, and I I got eventually hired to be the number three broadcaster and board operator and media intern with the Can-Am League Independent Brockton Rocks. How many duties of your job were there? Because that intern label, I shout out to uh, one of my favorite books from last year, Ryan McGee's The Circus of Baseball. But that, and I've, I've interned at a minor league team, and that label gets you, that makes you eligible for every single duty in the ballpark short of playing. How many different yeah. things did you do in Brockton that did not involve calling a game? I was the mascot for a full month before the season started, and I hawked country crock 
at the local Walmart. That was my job weekly. I also was the receptionist because, of course, there was no desk for me. There was no computer for me or phone for me or, or seat. There was no place for me to actually work. So I worked at any workspace where the person there was in a meeting or out of the office on a call or whatever. I would just go sit down at their desk and work. I'd go sit down at the next desk and work. For a while there, I would commute from my aunt and uncle in Rhode Island into Brockton and just drive that full hour that way and then the full hour back. And then the groundskeeper heard about this and said, actually, stay in my place. And so Tommy Hassett really saved me. There I am, staying in the groundskeeper's place. Um, and the legend is that Tommy is the inspiration for Bill Murray's role in Caddyshack, whether that's true or not. Legend in Brockton, Massachusetts. Really? That's must have been an interesting. I, I think about I think about that character's living space in uh, in in Caddyshack. It must have been an interesting living situation. It, it was, but it didn't matter because now I had a bed. Now I now it was not an hour long commute. Although big thanks to my aunt and uncle. But I would go out to pull the tarp wearing my nicest clothes, and the assistant general manager and the person in charge of sales would say, "Jesse, you're going to ruin those shoes." I didn't know. I didn't have tarp clothes. It was very much, as you say, all duties as assigned. So all hours and whatever was needed, you just hop on board because you're a team player. How often did you actually get on a call? I remember one where I got to be on play-by-play -play for a game against the North Shore Spirit in Lynn, Massachusetts. And I think I got one inning. Um, that was I just did the pre-game, post-game show, and I, I ran the commercials and did game notes or whatever else they needed of me. Were you, were you encouraged by this experience of, Oh, I think I could, did this give you more confidence that you could make for this life in baseball? Or was it m more discouraging as to this is, I, are there going to be any, any jobs where I get on a call? It wasn't discouraging in the slightest. What it did was show me how far I still needed to go. And that was when I st first started to make my lists of synonyms and all the different ways that I could say that a player ran around the bases or that a player hit the baseball, all of those things that a broadcaster needs to do. That's what first started the writing of the baseball thesaurus was I realized I didn't yet talk baseball. But no, there was no discouraging whatsoever. Uh, the season ended. Jim Lucas called me into his office and said, all right, thanks very much for being a part of this and good luck to you. And I went right back to Maryland. <laughs> So was it, uh, did you start all over again, back to the winter meetings, back to find a job? Like how often did you have to do the winter meeting, the winter meeting grind before there was a, you know, you fat caught on, caught on elsewhere? Or was that a thing until you got to Lansing? I would say the winter meetings grind stayed what it was until I was hired at the Vegas meetings of 2008 by the Lugnuts. But even then I went to the winter meetings Every year, but one year between 2004 and 2018, I didn't go in 2019 because there was a baby that was getting born. So it was understandable. And then I haven't been since, but it was very much every single year. And even while I was with the Lugnuts and, and like being the voice of the Lugnuts, it was still important to me. You go to the winter meetings, you make connections, you meet people. Lugnuts being a Blue Jays affiliate, meet everyone with Toronto. It's just, it was the place to go to make relationships. But the job searching grind was 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. 
not to jump too far ahead to the lug nuts, but you obviously you've been the voice of the lug nuts for a long time. You also handle media relations. Have you gone down to the winter meetings in a hiring capacity? Like, have you been in charge of looking for interns or anything like that? When I was with the Montgomery Biscuits as the number two in December of 2006, hiring for the 2007 season, me and the number one broadcaster in Montgomery were hiring the number two broadcaster for the Lansing Lugnuts. We had decided that Lansing should have a number two broadcaster. And we went through the whole process and we gathered resumes and we interviewed people and we offered it to a guy. And in the end, we didn't hire anybody. And Lansing continued to have only one person broadcasting until I insisted on having a number two in the 2011 season. So that was my one time that I actually went through the hiring process on the other side. Well, walk me through that because that seems, especially if you're, so you're analyzing cassettes or, you know, demos and things like that. Like, are you, how are, you know, how do you go about that process? Especially, I feel like calling a game could be so are you like you probably like certain things your number one might have liked different things like how do you how do you put together like your Mel Kuyper's big board of these are the guys that that we want or these are the people that we want calling these games you don't need a big board the cassette tape at the time or the cd or the demo whatever form that it takes all it needs to do is get you a ticket into the interview and then you see if you like the person so you put it on and you say can this person call a game they can call a game let's interview them it's it's not actually a very hard process. You don't have to necessarily say, how does this person call a home run? How does this person tell a story? The, the demo takes the same form as the resume where you just say, what kind of experience does this person have? It's all to say, do I want to actually sit down and have that conversation with them? And so it becomes a very quick yes or no. Can they call a game? They can call a game. They're a yes. Can they call a game? They can't call a game. It's a no. That's why people are always told folks will only really listen to your demo for about three, four seconds because that's all they really need to see. What do they think of your voice? And can you call a game? Interesting. So how long in that job grind did it take you to find a position where you were at least somewhat regularly calling baseball? At the winter meetings, 2005, that's how I got hired to be the voice, uh, number two voice, the assistant for the Montgomery Biscuits. And it, it did not happen in an official interview setting. I don't think that I got any interviews at the winter meetings 2005. I put it in for all these and uh, nothing came through. Well, there was a sports bar that was rented out by broadcasters in minor league baseball. And my friend who was there with me, who I had first met the year before. And, and really, I'd gone back with him to when we first crossed paths in Bowie. He, he said, there's a gathering of sports broadcasters. Let's go. And we went and there's every broadcaster in like minor league baseball. There's everybody. It was so cool. And we introduced ourselves to the people who had organized it. Jim Toko with Montgomery and Joe Block with, I believe, Jacksonville at the time. Well, Jim Toko had been the number two broadcaster in Charleston. He had worked under Dave Raymond, who I'd interned under. He had been hired by Jim Lucas, who had hired me with Brockton. So we're pulling up. My parents picked me up from the airport after flying back in from Texas. We're pulling up at our house in Maryland, and I get a call from him. And he says, Montgomery is going to open up a number two role. Would you like to apply for it? And I applied, and they hired me. So indirectly through the winter meetings, 
So the the most important question that I've had about your time with Montgomery, I heard you on a pod mention that there were always biscuits in the pregame spread. You would think, are the biscuits great biscuits? Because you would think if you're going to be the Montgomery biscuits, you better have the best damn biscuits in Alabama. I did not taste every other biscuit in Alabama, but I can say, as somebody who visiting Alabama and living there for two years without biscuit experience in my life, they were great. Boy, I must have put on so much weight in Alabama. And then my next dub was in Chicago. I probably was a skinnier guy before I entered baseball. And now look at me. I mean, the the fun thing about baseball, and I have a food question for you in the rapid fire, is just all the, I mean, minor league baseball in general, the food. Um, it, it, there's just it, one of my favorite things that MILB.com used to do was the food fight every year where they would do all the, all the new food items or all the best food items and do like a, a bracket of all the crazy things at ballparks and things like that. Um, man, they should bring that back. Um, but, but, um, biscuits top notch. That's good to hear. That's good. That's a, that's great to hear. Uh, so when you get, start getting on the call regularly in Montgomery, what is, do you, do you start setting out kind of a pick? You've gotten into the booth, you're on the call regularly. Do you start saying, okay, this is what, like, like a player would be a player gets into minor league baseball and, you know, I want to advance. I want to get to the big leagues. I want to get whatever. Do you start to set out some sort of, this is my plan. This is my path. This is my, the, the next job I want to go for and things like that. Or is in broadcasting, are you thinking that far ahead? Are you just thinking about the next game? No. Uh, I have friends who hit it with that kind of ambition and aspiration. I'm going to be here and then I'm going to be here and then I'm going to be here. This entire path, there has never been any thought for, I'm going to leapfrog from here to here, or I'm going to make it to this height. I was surprised every step along the way. The older brother of my best friend growing up said, I can't wait to hear you as the voice of a team. And I, before he said that, could never conceive of that. Before actually going to college, even though I wanted to do it, I couldn't conceive of actually calling games. It has simply been keep on doing, keep on controlling myself. What do I personally need to work on? And let's see if I can optimize myself, put in the work, do whatever this team needs of me to make the team better. Let's just see where that leads. But I've also been so aware of my own limitations when I got to Brockton, I understand I needed to work on this. I got to Montgomery. I understood I needed to work on my vocal stamina. I needed to learn how to use Dreamweaver in order to run the website. I needed to learn how to use InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator. It was such a, a computer intensive job to, to, to do all of these other functions for them. And then I was getting so much more reps. I was getting regular innings of play-by-play and regular innings of color. And all of that helped to challenge me and say, what more can I do? What more can I learn? So no, there was no thought about something that was far flung down the road. It was very much, how do I optimize today? And at that point with Montgomery, you'd now called, or you'd you'd worked in indie ball, you'd worked in double A, you'd later work a long time in, in low A and high. You've worked at all these different levels. Is the call much different depending on who's on the field? Obviously, we'll get to we'll get to call in the show, but is the call as far as minor league or independent league baseball, does it, you know, does it change level level by level? Where it changes is in seeing the player's future. 
And indie ball, what mattered more than anything else was winning. You had to win. And then Montgomery, it's a Tampa Bay Rays team and Devil Rays to Rays. They were prioritizing winning. So this was fun that I was going to places where winning mattered. But now I'm reading my Baseball America constantly to understand who's the prospect for us, who's the prospect for them. Study the draft. Study the organizational depth chart. Where does this guy fit in with the major league team's plans? So whereas before in Brockton, I'm just telling a guy's story and saying how he helps us win. Now I'm starting to say, what can this guy be? Why do they have him? What did the scouts see? What is he working on with us that maybe he's not good enough yet, but he can get there? So my two indie league stops, it it wasn't, all right, so this guy has these weaknesses, but we'll see how he works on it with the coaching staff. It was, what does he bring to the team today? It was such a big thing to understand with double A, this combination of the guys who have major league experience, the rehabbers coming in, the youngsters coming up, and how does this all fold together into what the Rays want to develop. On that same note, it's it's fun to ask about the prospects and stuff. And I know you've like you called Longoria during the you know, with the biscuits and obviously that we'll we'll get into some you know, some of the players the the Jays organization has had since you've been in Lansing. But you've been around long enough and you know enough about baseball that sometimes you're calling a game where the starting pitcher or the second baseman or the the guy who's pinch hitting come you know in in the seventh inning you kind of know this might be where the buck stops for them this might be the highest level of baseball they get to you can't can't be sure but you've been around enough where you you have kind of an idea what's the you know, when looping in that background information on the guy who's not Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Evan Longoria or or Bo Bichette, is it is it harder to craft a story around Johnny Smith, who was the undrafted free agent who has played at three different levels to plug a hole this year, and now he's you know he's here for the next week? Not in the slightest. That's not something that enters my mind. I just do not consider unless someone really drags me to that deeper perspective or the season ends, I don't consider if a guy's heading toward a release. I don't consider if a guy is hitting the end of the road. I don't find that helpful. I don't, I don't think it's important for the broadcaster to think about. I think it's more important to think about if this guy has an at-bat or if this guy is taking the mound, if this guy is taking part in this minor league game, there's still a shot. He's still getting that opportunity. And then it's important for me to tell his story. Now, maybe his story is what he's working on. Maybe his story is something to do with the on-field. Maybe his story goes beyond that. That's where I get to go down to the clubhouse. I get to see what is his personality like. I get to look into his background. Anything more that I've got, his grandmother is scoring the games, and I've talked to her, and she's corresponding with me. Whatever more I can do to do him justice, that is my responsibility. So no, I like with respect, I reject the question of broadcasting a guy and seeing the end of the line for him. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So on that, do you have 
favorites that kind of fit that mold because i uh jj cooper here at ba always talks about he covered the uh i think it was the macon braves and you know that team that was crazy loaded but they had guys and there's one i can never i can't remember his name but he knew it the the guy left uh the season a week early to go finish school and jj had the realization that he was he was probably done with baseball but he had loved covering him that year and something like that with you know, you you get these pockets, these seasons that these guys are playing. That I I'm a big baseball fan. I'm not keeping up with the Lansing Lugnuts and and the you know the whole the whole roster and who's doing what. But you see these guys turn in a quality season. They might never be a major leaguer, but they've turned. You know, they help Lansing win a first half title, or um, you know had a had a really good year in the Midwest League, or in you know in in um some, something like that. Have you had favorites of guys that? most the average baseball fan wouldn't wouldn't know anything about but guys who just stick out of like man they had a great year in Lansing they were a great person I love covering them I am glad I got to be part of their baseball story my favorites are the characters we had a guy in Montgomery do you remember Joe McGrain yeah okay so (laughs) this was a relative of his Jim McGrain so that gives you a starting point to be like oh I remember McGrain well Jim McGrain surreptitiously uh, approached our office and he said, can you give me all the headshots for all of my teammates, coaches, everybody? He said, don't worry about what it's for. Can you just, uh, can you give me on a CD all those headshots? And so he was slipped those headshots. And throughout the season, movie posters would appear on the walls of the team's clubhouse and elsewhere with Biscuit's coaches and players' faces substituted in the place of the faces on those movie posters. It was tremendously well done by a Photoshop artist. It was hilarious. It was anonymous. So I apologize for letting the cat out of the bag right now. It kept the team loose the entire year. Those kind of guys who keep the team loose through whatever it is that they do. Like there's a reason that Steven Vogt is beloved because of who he is. Sharona Senya, Shaggy Isenya, magnificent human being, Mike Prochaska, and we could keep on going down the line. Every single team has multiple guys where I say, this guy is special, and here are the multiple reasons why. From this past Lugnuts teams, the Lugnuts teams with the A's have featured some of the highest quality individuals that I've ever met. Brandon Withers, who's gone on to work with the Players Association, Kumar Nambiar, who now is working in the Orioles organization um, and was just represented the the Players Association in that panel about labor with President Biden. Um, The different personalities that stand out for whatever reason it is that they bring besides the baseball part. Because I've seen guys hit prodigious home runs. I've seen Denzel Clark hit an inside-the-park home run in two straight games. If you can do things on top of that, that's beautiful. So walk me through then how you ended up as the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts and this ongoing this ongoing tenure of yours. How did that start? And I got I mean, were there ner- are there nerves in taking over the big job? I almost fainted during the interview. But it wasn't because of nerves per se. Uh, I struggled with my health in Montgomery. I am skipping meals in order to make sure that I'm getting all my work done. Um, I am dealing with heat that I've never felt before. There was one day in the office where I fainted. And just because I 
I was wearing too much clothing and I wasn't drinking enough water. And then I continued to not take good enough care of myself at my next stop with the Windy City Thunderbolts. So I remember I'm pretty shaky at this time. I'm having tension, headaches, and pins and needles, and it's all entirely because of stress. And I fly into Vegas and I'm absolutely stressed and nervous. And the plane flight on the way to Vegas falls out of the sky. So that shakes me up because I'm I'm not somebody who likes roller coasters. Thankfully, everything's okay, but that was frightening. So I arrive the very first morning I'm sitting in for that interview and I've got an orange juice that I'm trying to drink to help out my blood sugar because I have no idea what's going on. And so I'm just feeling faint and lightheaded and they're asking me questions and I'm doing my utmost to try to answer them to the best of my ability. So that's telling you everything behind the scenes that I've now since understood, oh, here are all the different things that a person needs to do to take care of and prioritize their health. The assistant general manager in 2006 with the Montgomery Biscuits is the late Patrick Day, St. Patrick Day. 2007, he gets hired to become the GM of the Lansing Lugnuts. Brad Tillery departs the Lugnuts following the 2008 season as broadcaster. Well, Pat thinks about me. He saw me as the number two in Montgomery. And so when I went into Vegas, what I learned later was he was the guy that I targeted. He was the guy that I wanted to bring in. I'd had this, this one year as a lead broadcaster with Windy City to show that I could handle the lead. And he handed me the keys. And I wasn't really thinking about filling the big chair. I was just thinking, all right, I'm going from number one in Windy City to number one in Lansing. It probably all translates. The very first game that I do in Lansing, there's 12,993 or so people there for the Crosstown Showdown, Lugnuts and Michigan State Spartans. I deliver the starting lineup to the control room and everyone, probably five, 10 minutes before first pitch. And they looked at me and they said, you're going to need to get the lineups out a little quicker than that. Because an indie ball, the thing with lineups is you can get a little gamesmanship. You can wait until the last second with that lineup. You can make a late switch. There are all sorts of different things that the Thunderbolts did that, boy, I could tell you stories. Uh, the visiting clubhouse might be a little damp. <laughs> Just the Frontier League gamesmanship in 2008 was wild. So there I am. I'm so used to printing up the lineups and then hustling up to the broadcast booth to call the game. And they tell me, you don't do that here. You get the lineups as soon as you possibly can, and you get them out. So there were all sorts of lessons that I had to learn. I'm playing all the commercials from the computer in the stadium. And so I did my best to tread water for however many weeks until I go, all right, now I think I've got my sea legs under me. It's mixing metaphors. At that point, you'd gone from Brockton and Montgomery and Windy City, and you're living that minor league life of you're here, you're here, you're here, you're always looking for a job, you're you know you're you're trying to find. You've been in Lansing since since 2009, I believe. Yes. When does a stop become a home in the minor leagues? I think that if you don't treat a stop like a home immediately, you get found out. Because, and this is every single place that a broadcaster calls games for a team, not, not network, not national, the people who you're calling the games for, the fans, the family members, they need to feel like you care. The players, the coaches, they need to feel like you care. Everyone needs to feel like you're caring about what you're doing. The same thing about working in the front office. 
I still need to pull tarp. It's about being a team person. And so that being a team person that pervades into every single aspect and it's real and people will find you out. So you need to figure out what you need to do to make it a home immediately. Otherwise, people will say he actually doesn't care about being here and that will affect how we feel about that person. During your time in Lansing, the the team has mostly been has mostly been low A, recently now high A, but most of the most of the players are, you know, low A's is the first stop, especially after they jettison short season. Uh but but younger. You got to Lansing in your late twenties. You are now older than your late twenties. Has <laughs> how you've seen the players changed a little bit? Because I remember I, I've thought about this a lot, even following baseball. When, you know, I was into baseball America very young at a very young age. And so, you know, the draft in college, they, first it was aspirational. And then they were contemporaries. I would have friends. I got friends who got drafted and I had friends in the major leagues. And then is, you know, the minors, they got a little bit younger, a little bit younger. And now and I'm in my 30s and I go see a San Antonio missions game or I look at the box score of a game in low eight or something like that. And I'm like, these are kids being 19 and being on your own in Lansing or in Beloit or anywhere is a, is difficult. Has it changed how you see the life experience or the, these, these kids, these players, these grown men at, you know, how you see them and how you approach calling them navigating this, this, the start of their journey in many ways. This may surprise you. I am closer to the players now than I was when I was their age. I'm 23 in Brockton. I was 24, 25 in Montgomery. When the Lugnuts hired me, I was 26 years old. Now I'm about to turn 42 on Jackie Robinson's debut day. And I was told by my number one in Montgomery, do not get close, build a wall. And this is something you can find the broadcaster philosophy from great broadcasters. There must be a wall between you and the team. And I internalized that and I built that wall. And what I've seen, uh, what I've since seen has been that it's really important to me to actually show the players that I care about the work that they're putting in and they can help me tell their story. They can help say, here was the way I perceived that last start. Same thing with the coaches. We can talk about the game. We can talk about things that aren't the game. We can talk about books that we're reading or music or movies. Now, all throughout my childhood, Kyle, I'm uncool. I did not care at all about how people dressed. I just dressed in, in the way that I cared about because my thoughts were on books and baseball. And the same thing with music. I didn't listen to any music. I listened to only sports. The same thing held true for everything that was popular, TV shows or movies or anything that you can think of that was quote unquote popular as I was growing up throughout the 90s and then going to college in the 2000s. I did not get it. <laughs> I didn't know the music. I never went to concerts. So that that left me out of conversations. So because of that, and I I didn't understand slang because of that. I am totally comfortable being out of conversation about what's cool, not knowing who's singing this song, not knowing this music, not knowing the right way to dress, not knowing anything about that because it's so honest. I've had players be like, Jesse, 
I think you should wear different socks. Those socks are no longer in. Or they'll just say other things. I'll be like, man, Kevin, thank you. I need to, I need to get that changed. I appreciate it. And they know where I'm coming from. That is every single thing. I'll say, what are you listening to? Oh, let me check that out. What are you watching? Oh, let me check that out. It's it's because I'm so comfortable not having any clue what is actually pop culture. I need a high baseball team to walk me through some of that because my watching the Grammys this year in the past few years has been like, oh, who? Uh, that's been that it's been quite abrupt, a quite abrupt change for me. Uh, you know, not <laughs> not not knowing almost anyone who's performing. Um, so here's my guess. My guess is you grew up cool. I. Th- Cool is a stretch. I grew up. I grew up very much trying to be cool. Definitely put the work. Yeah. In. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's talk. Uh, this run in Lansing, you have you have seen you have called some incredible talent. The Blue Jays did an incredible job of of pulling together elite talent while they were the affiliate. The A's of the A's have done the same. Can we do just kind of maybe not like name association, but just thoughts? Um. You know, starting. I think. Uh, one of I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. was one of the more famous minor leaguers of the last of the last fifteen years or so. Um, obviously, the the pedigree, the name, but also turned himself into an elite prospect at the time. Met him wearing braces when he was seventeen. Lived in the apartments out beyond the outfield wall with his grandmother, who cooked for him. The sweetest guy who got along with everyone. I was expecting an ego, and I saw none of it. Everyone man li- they lived with his grandma. That is the sweetest. That is the sweetest yeah. story. Wow. The entire season, he was contacting his dad and saying, you got to come see me. You got to come see me. And then on Father's Day, Vlad the first showed up and threw out the first pitch. And you should have seen Vladdy Jr.'s face. Now, the entire game, he took an offer because he was over swinging because he, he was so excited. But I could not speak higher, uh, higher about Vladdy the person. I would sit in on English class. And listen to him learn English and how hard he worked. Just a, a wonderful, sweet person. Another uh, big leaguers kid, Bo Bichette, came through right around that same time. Were, were they on the same team in Lansing? 2016, at the very end of the year, we just get told, hey, there are a couple of guys who are going to join you. They're just taking BP. It's nothing. And there's 17-year-old Vladdy, and there's 18-year-old Bo, right after his appendix burst, and it got absorbed by his body. Do you know this story? I'm unfamiliar. Oh my gosh. So he's playing down in the Florida in the in the Florida Coast League, the FCL. I need to like now remember what everything was called back then. The Florida Gulf Coast League. No now the complex league. He's playing down the FGCL and he's putting together a torrid stat line. His numbers down there in rookie ball were amazing. And then his appendix burst in his body, as well as I understand it. And his body was fine. And everything is okay. They just shut down the rest of the year just to be on the safe side. But that's what ended his first professional season. I mean, big leaguers, they are truly different than us. Oh, my (laughs) God. But then they fly him in. And I could be wrong. I believe that the first time that Bo and Vladdy ever met was in Lake County when Bo joins us to take BP with Vladdy, who has joined us to take BP at the tail end of this 2016 season. And then the two of them unofficially debut against Michigan State in our exhibition to end the year. They're in the home run derby. Vlad is hitting lasers off the video board, but Bo beats him in the home run derby. Now, another player, Connor Panis, beats both of them. But Bo made sure to remind me years later, 
remember, I beat Vladdy in that home run derby. Then they come back to us the next year. Bo, I just remember how much he loved video games. He felt like everybody's little brother. He would just poke his head in. He was a joy to talk with. And my favorite thing about talking baseball with Bo was more than anybody else, Vladdy, you would see the adjustment mid at bat. A pitcher would get him to look really bad, get him to look really bad. And then Vladdy would step out, shake his head, and then crank one off the scoreboard. There was legends that pitchers would get upset about Vladdy shouting no as the ball left their hand because the ball was going to miss the strike zone. And they said, he's making us look bad. Don't say no when the ball is up here. See, his well, dad would have just would have just swung out of the strike zone. He wouldn't have cared. <laughs> yeah, but but Vladdy, absolutely not. Like he had been, I think it was Wilton Guerrero who taught Vladdy that plate discipline. And he would just shout no with a big smile on his face. Well, Bo, what I love to do is I'd say, Bo, how is this team pitching you? And Bo would say, here is their scouting report on me. Therefore, here's what I need to do to combat it. So I first met Vladdy and Bo when Vladdy was 17 and Bo is 18 at the tail end of 2016. Now Vladdy is 18 and Bo is 19. It's 2017. And there's 19-year-old Bo immediately diagnosing the other team's scouting report and immediately understanding what he needed to do to combat it. It was it was such beautiful hitting to watch. How how quickly can you tell with a kid, even at the, even at that level, that you have, I mean, there's obviously there's the kids will have the pedigree and you'll know, oh, such and such first round pick is coming and things like that. But um, sometimes players get to pro ball and suddenly hit the skids and different, different player than they were in amateur ball. How quickly can you tell this, this player is not going to be here for a while and he's going to be in the show very quickly. Are you ready? Midwest league. What's it's no, what's it known for in the April? Oh, it's freezing. <laughs> so all of our veterans, all of these guys that we had counted on, Josh Palacios and J.B. Woodman and guys coming in, Edward Olivares. Uh, we expected, all right, these guys are going to help out in the offense. They were freezing in April. It it pulled off their bat. They could not hit until when, when uh, once everything warmed up. Vladdy and Bo didn't care. And that's how I could tell, because the weather didn't bother them. Whatever the conditions, they were exactly who they were. They were torching the baseball right from the start of the year, and they were using the whole field. You could see immediately they had a two-strike idea of what to do. They had an idea of a routine to follow, and it didn't matter the conditions. They were going to be unaffected and make that pitcher's life hell. It was great. So that's, I caution everyone each year. I say, don't pay attention to the Midwest League in April. Pay attention to the Midwest League in June. But those guys showed me real talent can show up in April. So another guy the Jays the Jays ran through Lansing was Noah Syndergaard, and he was a little more under the radar than Bo and Vlad. He wasn't obviously didn't have didn't have big league pedigree, but also was he was a high draft pick, but he was an underslot signing. He was kind of a pop up guy. He did not have long flowing hair like like the son of Odin at that time. What were your first impressions of of a young Noah Syndergaard? Um. If Noah sees this, I love you, Noah. Noah was uncool. Uh, and just we've all seen the picture of him in middle school that that went around uh, <laughs> that went around Twitter. Well, but you can't judge by a picture. Uh, you can judge by right a clubhouse and friends and community. And I really appreciated him. He was this big, tall, blonde kid from Texas who came in and he was looking to find his place. And his arm is thunder. Now the Blue Jays did something interesting, which. 
I don't think we actually saw it prevent any injury, unfortunately, but they put Noah Syndergaard and Anthony DiScofani together in a pitching tandem, and they put Aaron Sanchez together with Justin Nicolino as a pitching tandem. And then those guys just partnered up throughout the rotation at the start of the year, three innings apiece, four innings apiece, five innings, they separated them. And then every scout had an opinion of how do you rank the three? Do you put Syndergaard first, Sanchez second, Nicolino third? Do you put Sanchez first, Nicolino second, Nicolino third? Where do they go? And then everyone had Disclafani fourth, although it's been fun to see Disco's career. That That's who he was, was this big kid who was just figuring things out with lightning in his arm, and you could not hit him. So he was trying to find his place off the field, while on the field, he was tremendously dominant as someone still understanding how to pitch. And he also got to be part of the most incredible hot mic clip in, in baseball history, uh, which is <laughs> a truly, I mean, they don't make Hall of Fame plaques for that, but they probably should for that. Just the whole, the whole scenario for any, anyone, the, the Terry Collins blow up is just one of, one of my all time favorites. Um, uh, I mean, a perk of, being in the minor leagues is getting to see and especially getting in low A is you get to see, you get to see the phenoms before really before anyone else does. Uh, when was the first time you heard the name Mike Trout? When he arrived, I wasn't very good at the time at understanding a team's top prospect list. And I must confess to you, there's a part of me that still doesn't trust that top prospect list completely where I say, Maybe this guy's number one and this guy's number two, but what does the team think? And every coach has an opinion and every player has an opinion. And I'll sit in the clubhouse and I'll listen to the guys discuss who's legit and who's not. And I'll say, the guys know. Well, the Cedar Rapids Colonels arrive in a town and I think this guy's got a funny name. Oh, look, he was a first rounder. Mike Trout. You know, Tim Salmon was an angel. There was also a pitcher named... Uh, what a perfect guy for the Angels organization. Kyle, he was hitting 400-foot bombs, dropping down bunts, stealing bases. He looked like the greatest player I've ever seen in a three-game series where I'm going. And still, it feels like such a cop-out answer. Whenever I'm asked who's the best player that you've ever seen in the Midwest League, it's Mike Trout because he did absolutely everything. He showed off the whole tool toolkit. It was beautiful as a baseball fan. To watch him play baseball in the Midwest League was glorious. And he was only 18 years old because he was young for his draft class. So he was doing that and, all and at he, 18. When he dropped down a bunt single falling on the heels of a home run, when he was stealing whatever base that he wanted and playing the defense, and we didn't have a scattering report on him that worked. And it's so funny to see a guy come in. And there have been multiple guys through the years where the scouting report is what the scouting report is. And then one at bat, a couple of bats in, the pitchers go, nah, we're not going to throw this guy any more strikes. Well, then a couple years later, Byron Buxton rolls through the Midwest League, who personal favorite. Byron of Buxton. I, I don't know if you understand the Cedar Rapids Colonel's home stadium, which borders on a suburban uh, neighborhood. And Byron Buxton hit a home run that I swear to you, it either landed in someone's backyard or it might have gone further and landed in their front yard. He hit it off Roberto Osuna, who at the time we had Osuna and Daniel Norris as our top two pitchers. And Osuna was very difficult to hit in the Midwest League. It struck out Carlos Correa three times in the same game. Byron Buxton turned one around and it was a rocket. 
to see that kind of power and then to watch him play that kind of defense in that series. I'm going, Cedar Rapids has all the luck, don't they? As a Twins fan, he is he is still our king. Uh, love, love, love Byron. Can I tell you, speaking as a Twins fan, so we hosted the Midwest League All-Star Game in 2018 and to meet Royce Lewis. Oh, the most impressive person I... I listen. Shout out to friend of mine, Darren Vaught, another another play by play guy, who uh, used to host a podcast for USA Baseball, and he interviewed Royce Lewis. It was after he tore his ACL in the minors, and I finished the episode, and I thought the Twins should sign him to a lifetime contract. I cannot yes. think of a more impressive person, and it makes all the sense in the world that they took him number one overall. Yes. You you just meet him and you understand, you see it. My other favorite Cedar Rapids Colonels moment was Lieutenant Griffin Jacks walking off the mound into military service after throwing a gem against the lug nuts and seeing the whole crowd understand he is about to head into the military and we appreciate him and we'll see what happens when he returns. So to follow his career and his life has been something. Mm-hmm. He's been very good last year. Um, <laughs> a lot, of, I mean... We could do this for days, but I have yes. to. I we we've got to get to your big league moment before we, before we get out of here. Is you have been with Lansing for I think is this year fifteen? Sure, two thousand nine, something like that. Two thousand twenty four. Let's say year fifteen. Yeah, math math is hard, but uh, well, the twenty twenty <laughs> being canceled helps make everything easier because if twenty twenty wasn't canceled, we would add an extra year. That's good point. Good point. Uh, but you. Walk me through getting your call to the big leagues. When the season starts, the local television station loves to do a live hit right from the ballpark. And that means that I have to be awake at about three or four in the morning. So I wake up three or four in the morning. and I roll in to make sure that everything goes well. And then after that, I went right back to bed. And then I woke up and it's now raining and I'm driving back to the stadium and I get a call from Delaire, director of broadcasting with A's cast in the Oakland A's. And he says, Jesse, we have an offer. Um, and Korak is taking these games off and we are extending offers to different broadcasters throughout the system. Would you like to do this three game series in Boston? And I said, Delaire, I will walk there. I will hitchhike there. I am half awake. The rain is pelting down. And then from there, Everybody else was jumping off the walls for me to see everyone else's joy was great because I was still having a hard time processing it. And my first thought, honestly, was how do I do the best job possible? It wasn't, this is an incredible opportunity. It wasn't, oh my God, oh my God. It was very much, I'm going to have three days in the major leagues. And so what do I do in order to do my very best for Oakland A's fans. And then it happens. I fly out to Boston. Vince Catronio takes such great care of me. And the first day is surreal. And I cried after the broadcast. And the second day I thought, all right, now I've got this. And the second day I made multiple mistakes and um, lost a ball with the green monster. And I go, I don't have it yet. And then the third day I put everything together and I'm going, Boy, this was a joy. I got to see Josh Winkowski, a former Lugnut, win his first major league game. I got to call an A's victory in the finale and then interview uh, Polly Blackburn after the game. It was such a wonderful three-day experience. 
and the people in Boston, um, Will Fleming, and Joe Castiglione, Dave O'Brien, Dennis Eckersley, like Vince Catronio at the top of the list, everyone could not have been better. And so Chaim Bloom then later loses his job with the Red Sox. But I have to tell you, when I'm in Montgomery, Chaim and I are the same age. He was working his way up the, the Tampa Bay system. And I'm there as an intern in the broadcast booth with AA. And the two of us, like I saw him as a kindred spirit. So it was so fun to just catch up with him in the minor leagues in 2006. And then 2022, 16 years later, there he is with Boston. There I am having finally made it my major league debut. And it's, it's, I never thought that I could get there. There's this thought that I'm going to do everything I can to get back. But it was cool to see him after all this time, just like it was cool to see Josh Winkowski. We saw each other in low single A. And then you fast forward a couple of years and we're seeing each other in the major leagues. That, to my mind, is the beauty of baseball is you meet people and then seasons and seasons and seasons passed and you go, whoa, look at you. Your hair is grayer. You have a family now. How are you? Look at us. It's it's Paul Rudd. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Look Not at us. Me. It's it's <laughs> funny. My Usually my favorite days on Twitter are when something uh, when something like terrible or mockable happens and people just make a bunch of jokes, this is usually what I thrive on. But the day that you got the call, um, the the adoration and the rightful praise that you received for getting that was it was incredible. Everyone we know, we have a few people we know in common, but just in general, every, you know, I've no one has had anything but the highest of praise for you. And uh, so watching watching you get that that big league call was was awesome. Um, you know, as as we wrap, you said you don't really like look ahead or anything like that. But I guess like, what are you most looking forward to with the twenty twenty four Lansing Lugnuts? Personally, it's all about what can I do to make things better at every single level within the Lugnuts. What more can I do? for the company and the team in the front office. Within the athletics organization, I constantly have ideas because we have access to all of the highlights. So I've always thought, why not share all of the highlights? Like a one organization sports center every single day. I'm constantly trying to cut up highlights from each of our games and share that. I think it's important for people who care about our prospects to actually see what's going on. So the different ideas about things that can be accomplished over the course of this season, and then working with my broadcast partner, Adam Jackson, to say, what more can we do for the people who care locally and beyond? And then just talking about the, the players, I think that there's a very good case to be made that the number one prospect in the system, Jacob Wilson, would be a lug nut to start the year. The number one pitching prospect in the system, Luis Morales, should be a lug nut to start the year. And I can go around the, the roster and I can say, Clark Elliott is due for a bounce back. What people saw from him in 2023 is not actually who he is, and he could surprise. Brennan Malone is better than he showed in 2023, and people need to watch out to see what he actually is. The 2023 draft class is filled with really interesting guys. What's Will Simpson going to be like? How does Jacob Waters come back? I could take you all throughout the team that I'm expecting, the whole organization, and you would hear my enthusiasm because I think that there's a lot of talent to watch for. 
It's funny, the the whole reshuffling of the minor leagues, my brain is still broken. I still struggle because when you said Jacob Wilson makes sense to be a lug man, I was like, well, they'll probably send him to high A. And then <laughs> Lansing is high A now. <laughs> it's still, it's still, I, I just, I cannot, uh, I'm still struggling to, to grasp. I was so used to the old system for so long. And I'm sure you, uh, that times 100. Can I challenge you? I'm constantly trying to figure out a way I, we need to rename the classification systems because it bothers me when people talk about class A and they mean both high A and single A, or if you want to call it low A, or if you want to call it single A and A advanced. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. So I've told people who know nothing about it. I just say, imagine freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You can see that the classification system has been very poorly named for people to actually understand one, two, three, four major leagues. Mm-hmm. Well, because even two before the reshuffle, there was also short season A. Yes, and yeah, yeah. We just we need more letters. And the, I mean, back in the back in the back in the day, that you used to have class B and class and all the. I mean, maybe A, maybe. B, C, D, E. You would keep on going depending on the level. That's I. I don't have anything yet, so my placeholder is literally that freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. That way people can see that someone is working toward graduating from the minor leagues. Well, I, I, I we could do this for another two hours of, of stories and we might have to we might have to regroup. But before we do, I want to hear what would your your pep talk be to 22, 23 year old you leaving Ithaca and, and heading out into the world of broadcasting? The road ahead is good. Trust yourself. Trust what you do and put in the work and care about others. As long as you're caring about others, as long as you're putting in the work, just trust it and things take care of themselves. You can't control the timeline, but you can control what you can control. So take care of that and take care of everyone around you. I have a quick rapid fire for you, then I'll let you get out of here. Yeah. Is that too earnest? No. There's a switch in my brain that can switch to sense of humor, and I feel like I've been like, sense of humor off. We've been going totally sincere. The earnest ones are the best. The earnest ones are absolutely the best. Uh, Favorite minor league ballpark that is not not a home park? Parkview Field, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, Favorite big league ballpark? Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That's always a winner. We've already, you've already said the best player you've called in the game, best pitcher you've called in the game. Max Scherzer, Mobile Bay Bears. He sawed off Evan Longoria and the rest of our talented lineup throughout the game. He just kept on breaking bats, and we were gone. This guy's pretty good. His nickname at the time, I remember, was Maximilian because they were like, boy, this guy signed for a lot. He better be worth it. He was worth it. He was he was worth it. He got a few more million after that. He was able <laughs> to he he's gonna he's gonna be able to build a decent life for himself. Uh best Lansing food spot. No longer exists, unfortunately. Nola Bistro, which combined New Orleans cuisine with Thai cuisine and was just amazing. Like, such a cool blend, but it no longer exists, unfortunately. Man, folks, go eat local. Uh, Favorite piece of ballpark food you've ever had? I'll say, so now current, I would say Good Chuck and Diner for Lansing. Um, I would say the soft pretzel Ben's in South Bend. I love me a Ben's soft pretzel. The last one, everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? We were driving to Bowling Green, and we saw the funnel clouds start touching down around us. We were driving right through Tornado Tornado Alley, and the bus driver kept on going straight ahead. And we're looking to the right, and we're looking to the left, and here comes another funnel cloud down. And thank goodness we're okay. I've been on a bus that, that destroyed a deer at 3 a.m., 
I've been on a bus that the players were doing their best to tip it over. There've been all sorts of different things that have happened on a bus, but never before the funnel clouds. That is the first tornado of, uh, of this pod, but Jesse, I am incredibly grateful that you took the time. We will have to do this again sometime because there are more stories in there. Uh, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. I appreciate all of your work. Your work has been great. It will continue to be great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And that's it for today's show. Big thanks to Jesse Goldberg Strassler for stopping by, walking us through his career journey. Go check out his new podcast, Crafting the Call, and make sure to subscribe to this podcast for new episodes coming at you every other Tuesday. And make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.